John 3, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 35. We're going to start. We've been in a series on emotional health. And I want to start by talking about a guy named John. John is this prophet who is preparing the way, preparing a group of people, the, the Israelites, the Jews, who've been anticipating for a long time that the Messiah would come. The king who's going to make it all right. They had a number of ideas of what that king was supposed to look like. If you're, if you're familiar with the way of Jesus, you know that they kind of got it wrong. They're waiting for someone to rule with power and authority over. Instead, he rules with power and authority under. In service, Jesus came to serve. And you've got this guy, John, who's essentially preparing a group of people to be able to receive what's coming. He's a forerunner. He's a prophet. He's saying, get ready. Get your minds ready for, for somebody who's going to come. He says, that, that, this is the account from John in verse 35. We, we have already learned, if you start at the beginning of John, a little bit about him. It says, the next day John was there again with the two, two of his disciples. He's a rabbi. He has two disciples of his own. These are disciples are people who follow the way of the rabbi. So John's a rabbi. He's got a couple of disciples with him who are learning the way of God, the way of Yahweh. Verse 36, when he, was, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God. He sees Jesus. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Two of his disciples, his people, his crew who are with him. John is a rock star at this time. Everyone's coming to hear him. And he goes, look, there's the person that I'm, I'm setting this thing up for. I'm preparing all these people. And his two, his two uh, people with him, his disciple, his crew, go and leave and then go with him. John 3, 22. Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside where he spent some time with the people and baptized. Now, John was also baptizing nearby because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. You used to be the main thing in town. You've told everybody that you're setting it up for this other guy, but then the other guy shows up and one of your disciples comes, hey, 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 John, everybody's going over to that church. Like Everybody's going over there. Everybody. Everybody is flocking to him. To this, John replied, and I love this verse. We're going to come back to this in a little bit. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I have said, because he said this before, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. Can you all repeat the phrase, I am not the Messiah? It's going to be our, our little mantra today. John's baptizing. Before he's put in prison, everyone's going to him. First, his disciples abandon him. Then everyone abandons him. You think John would get a bit torn up about this. But he seems able to celebrate that Jesus is who Jesus is. That Jesus' ministry is taking off. He seems to not be torn up inside. Are we able to celebrate when others are more successful than we are? 
Because we know that we're all equal, right, in some large image of God way. Right, even if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a believer in, in even God, you're not sure why you're even here this morning. You have this sense that we, we, all, we all espouse to this idea that we're all equal, which, by the way, is a distinctly Judeo-Christian idea. We're all equal. But we know that in, in, in one way we're all equal, we all have equal value, but we know that we're not all equal, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, oh. We're not all equal. It's a hard truth that we'd be wise to accept. Um, we are in a current age right now uh, where um, if you were to play soccer, and if you have kids who play soccer, and you show up and you play like rubbish, and your team finishes in dead last, you know what you're going to get at the end of that tournament? You're going to get a trophy because you were there. Some of you, that's like the water in the air you've been like breathing for a long time. You're like, yeah, that's good. Encourage the kids. Everyone gets a trophy. So I, I happen to grow up in an era where trophies meant something. Anyone else? If you do better, you win. If you're more talented and work harder, you get a bigger trophy. It was first place, then second place, then third place. So solid. I love that. Give it to bronze. Heck, throw in a fourth for good measure. Tenth place, that's not a thing. And when 10th place means the same thing as first place, that's definitely not a thing. Right? Someone's like, preach. <laughs> you see other people do better than you. And then, of course, we live in this age. We all realize this when we actually get older. And then uh, we enter the, I hate this phrase, like the real world. But it's appropriate. And then we have social media. And not to rag on social media, but then that pours fire on everything. Right? You start with unrealistic, it's unrealistic expectations of who we are. We have unrealistic expectations of how long it will take for us to get to the place we want to get to. Then we look at the 0.1% of people who are successful at an early age. Then we curate an image of ourselves that is not based on reality. And then you put it all together and you are robbed. Comparison, right? We know this inside robs us. Robs us of joy. And it creates these internal things that many of us don't want to be honest about. I don't know about my job. I don't know about my fashion. I don't know about my body. It's my story. is not really good enough. And then it becomes I'm not good enough for many of us. So instead of feeling gratitude for our life, instead of having a posture of just joy, a posture of this is just who I am and what I'm about, we get stuck in entitlement. We get stuck in jealousy. With social media, it's like a low-grade jealousy, right? I feel like we can actually combat that jealousy by posting like better, more filtered images of ourselves. And then just a culture of sadness, I think, leaks in. I think we all have a tendency to fall into this. There's already somebody more successful than you, just a heads up. How many of you feel like you're pretty successful right now? Don't raise your hand, don't be that guy. <laughs> There's already somebody more successful than you, just a heads up. Success, just like money, is like the more you get, the more you want. The more you get, the more you want. There is no magical arrival point that makes you feel good. But not with John. John seems able to, to what? To celebrate Jesus. And so I, I want to just throw this idea out to you that he knew three things. And we see this throughout Scripture. I'm just going to use John's story uh, as a picture for us. I, I think John knew three things. So, so if you're taking notes, write these down. One, 
He knew his identity. He says, I am the voice of one. John says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. He's a prophet. He's got a job to do. He knew who he wasn't. His vision of himself is rooted in scripture. He's a sense of his true self. I think so often we don't live out of who we are. We spin our wheels trying to be someone that we're not. Our temptation is to stray from who God made us to be because we really like this other person over here. In fact, we have no real sense of who we are. This manifests sometimes again right in what we do. Like who are we and what are we shaped by? As a pastor, um, I have a horrible habit of, I follow a lot of churches and church leaders on Instagram. I gotta be careful not to open up my like Instagram on Sunday. Because it's just like you see everybody else around the country who's doing that, who reaches those people. And I don't know if there's any other people out there like me who, I'm kind of like a, a, a classic B student. And I, I mean that only in like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm kind of into a lot of things and can do a lot of things okay, but like a master of none. Anybody out there like that? Like I'm just kind of like, I'm all right, I'm all right, I'm all right. I realize later in life that's usually what a lead, like you're usually called a lead when you're in that space. I will never be a savant in anything. I'm just convinced of that. And so what I've realized, though, is that, oh, I can kind of shape shift a little bit. Oh, I could be a little bit more like this. If, if, I, if I teach a little more this way, sometimes you may even notice it in the pew, right? Like, I, oh, Andrew seems way, like, preachy. Like, a little more, like, a little more X today. A lot more sports references today. Like, more, mu- like more music, more hip-hop references than normal. And then, like, there's, like, Andrew's looking at his notes a lot more. I'm sure you don't analyze me this much. This is what I do to myself when I come home on a Sunday. My wife comes over and says, stop. <laughs> but I realize I lose my voice. My point in that is like sometimes I don't even know who, what my voice is. Well, I know some people kind of prefer this and more preaching. Some people like more teaching. And some people like more quotes. Some people like more scripture. Some people want more like sticky statements, like cute little like believe like your best. The best is yet to come. Like I can't be that pastor. I try. I just feel so disingenuous because <laughs> sometimes the best isn't yet to come. <laughs> Different sermon. I have a hard time. Anyone else have a hard time figuring out who they are? You kind of have all these other voices and inputs kind of shaping who you are and how you're wired. He said, I'm the, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Uh, this famous rabbi, Rabbi Zusa, says this, in the age to come, in heaven, they will not ask me why I was not Moses or why I was not Abraham. They will ask me why I was not Rabbi Zusa. It will ask me why I was not me. I won't be asked why I wasn't more like so-and-so. John knew his identity. Two, he knew his calling. John knew his calling. Prepare the way for Yahweh, for God. His job was to get these people, to get Israel ready for the one who is going to make all things new. The one that has changed our calendar system, that has shaped the way we think about ethics, the way we think about love. Our whole world is, is haunted by Jesus. Even those who want nothing to do with Jesus, we are haunted by him. The one that was ready to come. John is this one who's preparing these people for the Messiah. There's this rumor I was thinking about. that um, It's not, how does it go? It's, it's, who, uh, it's who you are that matters, not what you do. Ever heard that phrase? It's who you are that matters, not what you do. Show me where scriptures teach that. What you do with your life should grow out of who you are. 
It should grow out of who you are. So many of us are trying to figure out our calling, our vocation. So many of you are wrestling with that right now. Calling is both internal and external. It's about who God made you to be as much as what you are supposed to do. Calling is something we unearth with our community, with with the Holy Spirit. And what we're called to do isn't always what we want to do. What we're called to do isn't always what we want to do. Some people's story is that we grieve that we aren't able to do some of the things. Hopefully those things line up. But to make sense of calling, like we, we, who we are is confirmed really by what we do. Our goal is to do what God has made you and shaped you for, not just what your peers are pushing you toward or not just what mom and dad have been pushing you for or what other people want you to do. Or even worse, right, as a follower of Jesus, what the most practical thing is. So much of the hypocrisy, at least in this country I can speak to around the Christian faith, is a bunch of followers of Jesus who are not listening to Jesus for any of their cues for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They're living normal middle class lives with like Jesus like tagged on. John knew his limitations. Three. Knew his identity. He had a sense of what he was called to do. I know what I'm called to do. I've worked this thing out. And then three, he knew his limitations. This is that verse I I called your attention to at the beginning. A person can receive only what was given them from heaven. A person can receive only what was given them from heaven. So I was raised uh, in a way that really reinforced that I can do whatever I want. I think a lot of us grew up in that. Not all of us. I am able to do whatever I want. We didn't have a lot of money growing up, but we had enough. I knew I'd probably get to college. There's all sorts of other systemic things in my, in my favor in terms of worldly lenses of success. I'm a man, I speak English, I'm white. There's all these things like stacked in my favor. So, so it was like in, through every way, both subconsciously and consciously, this thing was pushed of I can do whatever I want. And it's a dangerous idea because it's just not true. It's just not true. I can't do everything that I was made to do. There are things that I was made to do, I was going to say. There are things I'm just not made to do. It was coming to the realization that I couldn't fake the things that I sucked at. Some of you are in a place right now where you are faking it hard. I get it. But you're not good at that thing. (laughs) It's like a sense of a prophetic word. Like someone needs to hear you're not good at that. Stop. Not just like you're not good at it. This isn't like you can't get better at things. You can't strive to be excellent or anything like that. It's, again, recognizing like what are, where, what are you trying to push into that is a wall and limitation? You're trying to manage your weaknesses instead of leaning into your strengths. Stop managing your weaknesses. Begin to lean into your strengths. John has this sense. Hey, look, look, a person can only receive what was given to them. I'm not the Messiah. We need to learn to see our capacity and our limitations as a sign of God's calling on our life. We need to think well about our limitations. Pete Scazzaro, uh, this person who wrote this book called The Emotionally Healthy Church, 
that we've been using as sort of a guide as we go through this series on what it means to become more emotionally healthy. Because Jesus, right, Jesus is in touch with his humanity. He shows us fully what it is to be an integrated, emotionally healthy person. Peach Cazero lists a bunch of limitations that we need to pay attention to. So again, if you're taking notes, these won't be on the screen. One is our personality. Your personality has limitations. Some of you have been shaped by trauma, and there are some gaps. And I know it's hard to see your gaps. It's hard to see blind spots, right? By nature, you don't see blind spots. They're blind. But there are, there are places in your personality that are, are, are limitations. You're not going to be able to do certain things because of how you're wired. I was listening. Anyone watch uh, Comedians in Cars Drinking Coffee? Have you seen this on Netflix? No? Oh, my gosh. It is so, it's like Jerry Seinfeld went to somebody. He, he runs the show. And it's like he went to a producer and was like, guys, let me tell you three things I like to do. I like to drink coffee. I like to drive really fancy cars. I like to talk to my friends. What do you think? Show? And somebody was like, <laughs> you're Jerry Seinfeld, sure. And sure enough, it's like actually super entertaining, most of them at least. And anyway, he was talking about, he was talking to Tina Fey. 30 Rock, anyone know Tina Fey? No, never mind. Cool. Um, he's talking to Tina Fey, and they're talking about how Tina Fey was never able, her mom always wanted to while she was in New York. She couldn't get a job. She's trying to do the comedian thing. Right, classic story of like, had nothing, floating around New York, trying to figure out how to make it as a writer and improv, as a comic. And uh, her mom was like, why don't you just do something at least that your cousin's doing? She's like, um, giving out or selling or doing um, uh, whatever with perfume in Bloomingdale's. Like g- giving samples to people and getting people to come in. And uh, Tina Fey is just like a hard time explaining to her mother that like, I am just not pretty enough to do that. And she goes on this long tirade of like, I, you, you need to realize, Mom, my very makeup. And so Jerry Seinfeld then chimes in with this funny little anecdote. He goes, yeah, yeah, there are no good-looking people who are really affable and really kind and really personable who are good in comedy. And I just started to think, you're right. There are pretty much no good-looking people in comedy. And honestly, they all strike me as people I probably wouldn't want to be friends with, most of them outside of their like, stand-up performance. Just acknowledging our personality and who we are creates limitations. Two, our seasons of life. Any parents with kids? Any parents with kids under the age of five? They can't even cheer because they're so tired. (laughs) Don't make me do that again. There are, I have never quite realized this, the limitations until now. Rowan, our, my second, is now one years old, and she is not as slow and quiet as my firstborn was. And it's, yeah, I just need to go to bed early. My wife told me that she would, she already went to bed early before we had kids, but it got even earlier when we had young kids. And she just told me, like, maybe a couple days on our, I remember it was on our honeymoon, a couple days after our wedding. And I'm like, I'm a night owl. I don't know how this is going to work out. You know, we would talk about this kind of a goofy conversation. I like to stay up late. And she just looks at me and she's like, I will break you. <laughs> I will. And she did. But then the kids came along and they really, really broke me. My, my wife will leave. We had friends, we have friends over uh, for dinner. If you've ever been over our house, you know this. It gets around 945 and Corey starts sending very strong social signals that she's going to go to bed. And no one really, only our really good friends believe this. Like, no, it's okay. Stay, stay and hang out with Andrew, but Corey's going to bed. 
So this is like a major, I think a cultural like no-no for some people. But Corey will get up at 10 o'clock and excuse herself and say, it's so nice hanging out with you guys. Have a great time with Andrew. Uh, Good night. (laughs) No exaggeration. This happens on the regular. Our seasons of life, where are our limitations, our personality, our seasons of life, our life situations, our restrictions around our money and our ability and our capacities, and then four, our physical, intellectual, and emotional capacity. Our physical capacity for some of us is a limitation and we need to own it and lean into it. Some of us, our intellectual capacity is important to take note of. I am not and cannot be X, Y, or Z. And what we've been talking about now is our emotional capacity. Our emotional capacity. So we've been going through these principles. Week one was looking beneath the surface. We talked about breaking the power of the past. Last week, Sarah talked to us about living with vulnerabil- living in a posture of vulnerability, surrender. And this week, the principle is receiving the gift of limits. And I love that language. Receiving the gift of limits. Listen to that one more time. Receiving the gift of limits. We don't, I do not think of my limitations as gifts. Nor as something to like receive. They're the things I push against. They're the things I will conquer. They're the things that I will pretend don't exist. Pete Gazzaro writes this, Emotionally healthy people understand the limits that God has given them. They joyfully receive the one, two, seven, or ten things that God has so graciously distributed, talents they've distributed. As a result, they are not frenzied or covetous, trying to live a life God never intended. They are marked by contentment, And they are marked by joy. Doesn't that sound like a nice way to live? They're not covetous. They're not frenzied. See, we need to see our limitations as a friend and not an enemy. And let them guide us into our calling and guide us into emotional health. We need to be willing, like we've been doing week after week, to be able to take self-inventory. Are you tired, depressed, anxious on the regular? These are usually a sign, not always, not always, but usually a sign of bad limits. Maturity in life is when someone is living within their God-given limits. So how do we get there? Anyone interested in that? How do we get there? So first question is, how do we, what do we say yes to? What do we need to say no to? Like, can I go there? Can I hang out with all those people? Hearing the things like, why aren't you doing all this? Andrew, if you spoke at all those things and pushed out your brand like this, you would get more Twitter followers and be able to do more of this and be able to have more influence in these church things. And I have to say, I'm building a fort with my daughter right now. I'm sorry. In the very early days, some people got incredibly frustrated that they could not reach me on a Monday. I've talked a lot about my Sabbath is Monday. So take the day off. I don't answer my phone. That they can't reach me between five and seven. I just had to do it. I'm sorry, I'm busy with my girls right now. I'm sorry, I'm busy listening to the Lord. (laughs) We have to be able to say no when the temptation is always to say yes. Temptation is always to say yes. And I think this actually gets at a deeper temptation that's rooted with us. 
And I think it's the temptation to be God in some way. Follow me. This may sound far-fetched. But if you're familiar with the Bible, you know the scriptures begin, the Torah begins, the Old Testament begins with this poem that kind of describes like who we are and why we are. The story of Adam and Eve. It's this account that is, is, is shedding light, right, on, on our propensities, on who we are as a people. It's this, um, many call it, it's the more than literal truth. There's something about this story in Genesis that is powerful. It's true about who we are, made in the image of God, and yet prone to choose death, why, to choose death over and over and over again. And in this story, the first temptation of humanity, tell me if this doesn't resonate with you, even if you have a hard time believing in Adam and Eve and things like of that nature. You will be like God. The temptation, the first temptation is you will be like God. What's God like? He's omnipresent, he's everywhere. He's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, and he's omniscient. He knows everything. Our temptation is to be everywhere. I heard a phrase the other day that I love. It's, it's, they were talking about their friend, but I thought he might as well have been talking to me. He said, you are a quivering pile of availability. That's good, right? Use that one. Tweet that one out. You are a quivering pile pile of availability. Our temptation is to be omnipresent, to be everywhere, to never say no. Oh, friends giving three? I'll be there. Right? How many hands can I have on these? Oh, there's that many parties going on tonight? Everywhere. I can do it. I can do it. I can help. Some of you, I've had to learn that I have to help with boundaries. Some of you are such incredible servants in this church, and I love your heart, but I've started to realize, and Pastor Sarah started to realize, and others, like, I don't think they're just serving all out of the goodness of their heart. I think they feel the need to be everywhere in everything all the time, and they don't have any limits. Two, all-powerful. I can fix it. I can fix it. I can fix it. I can fix me. I got that. I can fix it. I got that. I got that. Anybody? I got that. I'm good. No, 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 I got it. Omnipotent. Our temptation is that we can do everything. Three, omniscient is to know it all. To know it all. I'm just going to leave that one there. <laughs> Anyone got a friend who is a know-it-all? <laughs> this is a root temptation. We try to be God and we end up killing ourselves because we're not. We're not. We're not. Jesus even, right? Jesus is God in the flesh, fully human. And we see Jesus with limitations. He's going to Jerusalem. There's this almost like a beat through the whole, um, all the gospels, especially the gospel of Luke. Where's he going? To Jerusalem. Where's he going? To Jerusalem. Where he's going? He's going to Jerusalem. And so he says no throughout that book so many times. I got to get away. No, I got to spend time with my father. No, I can't heal any more people. I got to go. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He knew where he was going. He knew who he was. And he knew his limitations as a human. I can't, I got to spend a couple hours alone or I'm not going to be any good for anybody. I can imagine Jesus like, I'm going to be grumpy. No one likes grumpy Messiah. <laughs> He's leaning into the fullness of his humanity. We need to know our identity, our calling, and our limitations. And, and can I just say a quick word about balance before I close? 
I get when people ask me, I get this asked often or when I go to a conference or I'm doing a workshop, yeah, how do you as a pastor, especially when I'm around other pastors, how do you balance life and, and marriage and ministry and home life and your creativity and what things you want to do? How do you balance all that? I, in that moment, am usually not a fan of the word balance. I get it. It's a helpful question. But balance, right, like is, is, not, is a series of unbalanced moves. That's how you get something balanced. It's saying that I'm going to just kind of make everything kind of line up even. I'm going to make everything just sort of fit. And I'm not going to ask the question about what the most important thing actually is. I'm not going to seek first the kingdom. There's two powerful words is to seek first. To seek first. Jesus says, as a follower of Jesus, the thing you need to do is to seek first the kingdom. Right? That means he's putting the kingdom as a priority. The first things first. That's why I put your family above everything else. This isn't about balance. This isn't about balance. This is about making sure you have a proper order to things. There's a story of a, of a rabbi who's going, or a rabbi tells about a man who uh, goes on this very, very, very long journey. He's trying to get through uh, to another part of the, the, the country. And he reaches this gate where there's a big, big, big wall up. And so there's somebody standing at the guard. And he's trying to get in. It's long, there's a whole other long story around this. But basically the end of the story is this. The guard yells down as this uh, rabbi comes on this long journey. And he yells down. And he goes, who are you? And what are you doing here? Rabbi stops. Just say that again. Who are you and what are you doing here? And the rabbi goes, ah, how much are you getting paid? Guy looks confused. Gives him a number. I will pay you twice that to show up at my house every morning and shout those two things. Who are you? Why are you here? What are the things that you are here for and what are the things you're not here for? We're not seeking balance of a bunch of things. Look, look I don't want my kids, at, at the, like, when they become adults, to go, my parents balance their busy ministry life and raising us. So good at balancing that. I want my kids to say, they always put us first. They always put us first. They didn't balance that. We always came first. There was a natural order to things. So we return back to our phrase. The phrase that we opened with. You remember what it was that we repeated? I am not the Messiah. I love this. John's simply just stating a fact about who he is, who Jesus is, who he's not. I just love this. This is a reminder that I have all the time when I feel like I need to fix everything, when I feel like I need to be everywhere, when I feel like I need to have all the answers, when I feel like I need to be somebody other than myself, when I'm not even sure who I am anymore. To receive the gift of limits, there's something in that phrase that just conjures that for me. It may not be helpful for you, but that is a prayer for me is I am not the Messiah. So some questions for us as we close. Invite the band up. Some questions for us to consider. Who are you? <laughs> How can you live more into your true self? How God has made you. 
who you were made to be. Who are you? Second question, what are you called to do? What are you called to do? And lastly, what are your limitations? Where are you living outside of them? Where are you emotionally unhealthy because you can't say no? Two weeks ago, I gave this image that a friend of mine was really prophetic and he gave this word. It just had an image of me running around a room. You know, those poles have the plates on them, the little magic trick. You keep the plates going, you get another plate going, another plate, little parlor trick. And he said he had this image of me running around a room frantically, just trying to keep so many going. He's like, you need to let some plates hit the ground so you can focus on the one or two or three plates. You need to realize your limitations. Who are you? What are you doing here? Who are you and what are you doing here? And you get to the end of your life, they're not going to ask, hey, why weren't you so-and-so? Why weren't you that person? Why weren't you them? They're going to ask, why weren't you you? I'm going to leave these questions up on the screen. We're just going to take a moment before we come to the communion table, before we close our time. I just want to encourage you to reflect. If it's not distracting, you don't have made paper, take out your phone, just jot a couple things in your notes section. What are you feeling? You just need to sit and to listen. Quiet your soul. Be open to the voice of the Spirit. Be open to the call for all of us to accept who we are and to thank God for that. Look, can I say one last thing? For every person in this room who is proud of who they are, there are a lot of people who wish they were more. And I think it takes a little faith for all of us to thank God for who we are. Write this phrase down, to trust his authorship of your life. To trust, there may have been things that have happened to you that have nothing to do with God's intention, but God, you know, will bring resurrection and beauty out of the worst of circumstances. And just to simply trust God's authorship over your life and to thank God for who you are now and what God is up to in your life now. To say, God, you are the creator. I am the creation. You shaped me and called me. And I thank you for all that I've been given. To receive the gift of limits. Let's take a few moments and reflect. What do you need to say no to? 
need to let go of. We need to say yes to. Maybe it's not even the thing you want to do, but you know it's the thing God's put on your heart to do. We know the way of Jesus is the way of love. Where are you being invited to step into greater love and to greater generosity, to greater beauty and to greater reconciliation, invited into greater works of justice? Where are you being invited into God's great work of bringing heaven to earth? Lord, we come to you to thank you for your authorship over our life. Lord, we pray you help us receive the gift of limits. Psalm 16, 5 to 8 says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. The boundary lines have fallen well for me. The boundary lines have fallen well for me. They've fallen in pleasant places. As a follower of Jesus, no matter what you are going through, Communion, the Eucharist, the bread and the cup reminds us that on a macro scale, the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places for you. You hear what I'm saying? You can be going through the worst thing ever. This isn't about ignoring that, but it's a reality of the boundary lines of of God have fallen in pleasant places. You, you are a loved child of God. The truest thing about you is that you are chosen, adopted, loved, redeemed, cared for. You have a God who is with you, that you are going to be okay, that death is no longer an enemy. It's been defeated, that your rest can be found. And so we as followers of Jesus, when we come and take the bread and dip it in the cup, we are reminded of the God of the universe breaking himself open and pouring himself out. That the Messiah, who we are not, has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Amen. We cannot save ourselves, our limitation there. And so as we come to the table, if you're here and you're a father of Jesus, I want to invite you to come to the table, to take the bread and take the cup. And as you dip the bread, his body broken, and you dip it in the cup, his blood poured out. Would you be reminded of the saving love, the forgiving and powerful love of the universe that has set you free to walk the path of Jesus, to repent and turn back to who you were created to be. Can we read this prayer together? Open our eyes to see you, to see your hand at work in the world about us. Deliver us from the presumption of coming to this table for solace only and not for strength, for pardon only and not for renewal. Let the grace of this holy communion make us one body, one spirit in Christ, that we may worthily serve the world in his name. Risen Lord, be known to us in the breaking of bread. So these last few minutes we have together, I want to encourage you or welcome you to come up, come up the center aisle as the servers come out to take the bread, dip it in the cup as a reminder of Christ's body broken and blood poured out.
There's a number of folks who are here who would love to pray with you. Maybe you just need clarity. Oh, God, what, what do I need to receive? I don't know what to say no to. You need someone else's voice. Maybe just some of you, he'd love to just be blessed today and someone else praying for you. Maybe some of you, you hear all this and you go, I, I would like to say yes to the way of Jesus. There's some folks who can help you on that journey over here. So I encourage you to line up in this line. Again, we're all going to come forward up the center aisle, take the bread and the cup as we close in song. Lord Jesus, Son of God, mercy on us, people who try to be omniscient and omnipresent. Try to be everywhere, all-powerful. Try to know it all. Lord, as we come to the table, may we be reminded, Lord, not of our own propensity for entitlement, but would we be reminded, Lord, of the saving grace that is found with you and the great rest and love and joy that is found, Lord, in walking in your way. In your name, everyone said, amen. Amen.